Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is supported in part by HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit, dedicated to making home cooking fun and convenient. When you get back home from a busy day, with HelloFresh, you get to spend more time doing what you love and less time cooking. Get 50% off your first box. Visit HelloFresh.ca slash podcasts and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. And this episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. Once again, that is audible.ca slash Canada. It's hard to think of a more globally celebrated Canadian success story in the last 20 years than Craig Kilberger and his family's We movement. Maybe Drake? Lululemon? Poutine? But of course, even those ones get bad press. Sometimes. Not the Kilbergers. Watch We Did on ABC. 
It's an incredibly important and powerful thing that you're doing, and it's really going to resonate around the world in a really influential way. So impassioned, both of you, and now this has become your life's work. All right, the Colbert Nation, freeze the children. Mark Kielberger, thank you so much. Thank you. We co-founder Craig Kielberger, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. And happy thank Canada you. Day. Happy Canada Day to you. When we've worked with CTV now over the years broadcasting these, we've had almost 100 celebrations filling stadiums. Everybody, please welcome back to the show, Craig Kielberger. The last time I saw you, we were doing the Canada for Haiti thing here with all yeah. of the networks coming together. Welcome to Cribs East Africa style. My name is Craig Kilger. I'm the founder of Free the Children and also of Midawi. This is Midawi's main volunteer camp in Kenya, and we promise you a Cribs unlike one you've ever seen before. Back to you Tuesday morning right here on BT. Tomorrow morning will be nuts right downtown Rogers Arena. Lee Day is back, co-founder of the initiative. Tenth anniversary, by the way. Craig Kilburger, congratulations. Wild. And we promise the traffic congestion is worth it. It's worth inspiring these kids to do good stuff. Because today is going to be a big day for kids all around the Maritimes. All right, thanks, Julia. I know my daughter participated last year. She's still talking about it. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. According to senior executives at the WE organization, quote, over the last 20 years, we've been fortunate to receive overwhelmingly positive media coverage. And they have. They have also been fortunate to have extensive media partnerships. They provide columns and stories and even whole sections to newspapers. They provide video of their events to TV networks. They are, among other things, a media company, constantly producing content that is published by an extensive list of huge mainstream media partners. But as much as they are interested in talking to the public through the media, writing columns on everything from meme culture to the blockchain, you won't find much talk in the media about them. Not critical talk, that is. Think about it. The WE movement employs over a thousand people, but there hasn't been any coverage Canada Land could find about what it's like to work there. The WE movement is active in over 16,000 schools, including thousands of public schools. But where's the journalism looking at what that programming entails? The WE movement charges thousands of teenagers thousands of dollars to go on volunteerism trips to developing countries. But you're going to have a hard time finding media coverage about all of the complicated ethical issues that those WE trips raise, or coverage about the actual impact that those trips are having on the communities that they're designed to help. The truth is you won't find much critical news coverage of the Kielbergers or of we at all. Today, we're going to look at why that might be. I'm going to note, as many of you know, that the WE organization has sent Canada Land a legal notice about our October report about them, which raised questions about some of the corporations that they partner with. When we first published that story, WE management actually told their employees that they welcomed and embraced our coverage and that they took it as a learning opportunity. And besides, they considered Canada Land a, quote, fringe group with a, quote, tiny website, and few people would ever read our report. I guess they've changed their minds. According to their libel notice, they are now concerned that our story has reached millions and has caused their organization serious, measurable damages. And whereas they initially said that they believe in full transparency, they now tell us, through their lawyer, that they will not submit to an interrogation they believe is being conducted in bad faith. 
Their lawyer also tells us that he has advised his client, the WE organization, to not answer our questions given the pending litigation. Well, Canada Land stands by our reporting, and our reporting continues. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Eric Hack, Manon Smalley, Chelsea Rogers, Jesse Mix, Alexis Markowski, Ron Sanichan, Travis Boisvenu, and Shiloh Fagan. I'm Shiloh Fagan. I'm a student in a PSW in Toronto, Ontario, and I support Canada Land because a transparent, independent media is worth paying for. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, Jaron. Hey. Okay, let's start at the beginning. What was the first battle that the Kielbergers had with the press? That would be Craig Kielberger's $3 million lawsuit against Saturday Night Magazine in 1997. Okay, so I should say here that I once worked for Saturday Night Magazine. It was about five years after that lawsuit. And by that time, the magazine had changed owners like a couple of times. And as far as I know, nobody who I worked with had any involvement with that case. So with that out of the way, what was Craig Kilberger's problem with Saturday Night? Well, they launched a libel suit. Um, A writer named Isabel Vincent wrote a cover story titled The Most Powerful 13-Year-Old in the World, and that was for their November 1996 issue. Uh, Essentially, it praised Craig's activism and called him a great orator, but it also gave voice to Kielberger's critics who called him naive on the issue of child labor, which, of course, was his main cause. If I were to read that piece now, would I consider it an expose, like a takedown piece? Uh, In my opinion, no. 
it was a thorough magazine feature, a kind of deep dive that marveled at how amazing Craig's experience had been. You know, this young kid meets with world leaders and he's inspiring people, but also raised questions about what all this attention was costing him as an individual, as a, as a young kid. It had looked at his parents' role as well, and uh, it looked at the money, you know, $5,000 speaking fees, things like that. But in my view, there was no smoking gun, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, no allegation of any wrongdoing. Uh, I actually spoke with um, Isabel Vincent, the writer of the article about the whole piece. My experience with them was actually very, very nice until, you know, I found myself on the other side of a lawsuit. It didn't seem like they wanted to deal with any kind of criticism, no matter how slight. So, Jaron... When you launch a libel suit against somebody, you usually cite specific passages that you consider defamatory. What specifically was the issue in that Saturday Night article? So the Kilbergers had a lot of complaints, uh, but the passage they took the greatest offense to was about donations going, quote, directly to the Kilberger family. Uh, this was since the charity had not been legally registered at the time. Uh, the Kilbergers argued that this falsely suggested that they were pocketing the money. And it was reported that the organization stated that prior to being registered as a charity, uh, this money was deposited into a separate bank account and the group was being run as a charity. And the application with uh, Revenue Canada was on its way to approval. Uh, Isabel Vincent told me that she didn't mean to suggest anything dubious. My point was that it was like it had grown so exponentially in such a short period of time that it kind of caught them off guard. They also took issue with how Craig was described. Uh, Isabel Vincent described him as a precocious pubescent who learned to speak in almost perfect sound bites. And she also wrote that some cynical journalists had taken to calling Craig Damien, um, the name of like the evil kid from The Omen and its sequels. I don't think the story took away from the fact that he was, you know, pretty special kid uh, and and that he was doing something pretty courageous and awesome. Jaron, it it definitely sounds to me like her piece had an edge to it, but truth and fair comment are defenses against libel. Were the Kielbergers able to prove that Saturday Night Magazine got any facts wrong? Well, it never got to trial. They sued that magazine for $3 million. They named not just Saturday Night in the suit, but people involved with it personally. Isabel Vincent, her editor. And what a lot of people don't know is that they also sued the Ottawa Citizen. They wrote an article about the Saturday Night article, and in doing so, repeated some of the contentious parts. But they settled. The Citizen apologized and donated some money to free the children. Anyway... I think it's fair to say that they came on pretty strong with the Saturday Night Suit. Uh, They held a press conference to announce it. And here's what Craig, 13 at the time, said. And the editors of Saturday Night Magazine had one thing in mind, to undermine the efforts of Free the Children. When we decided to establish Free the Children, there were some adults who said, why bother? We have constantly been told we do not have the power to change anything and that the problem is simply too large. We are not quitters, and we will not be victims. A former staffer told me that they wouldn't accept anything but a full retraction. What they got instead was a $319,000 settlement, which Craig Kilberger says he donated to charity, his charity. Uh, Ken White, the Saturday Night editor at the time the story was published, he told the Globe and Mail that settling the suit was largely a commercial decision. Uh And as the litigation was costing too much time and money, he felt like it was time to wind things up. Jaron, I have heard editors in the Canadian media use that story about the Kilberger suit against Saturday Night Magazine as proof 
that the Kielbergers are very litigious and you should not write about them. But that's not really true, is it? No. As far as I know, the last time they actually filed a defamation suit against publications was when they sued Saturday Night and The Citizen in 1997. But it definitely demonstrated to the press that they take criticism very seriously and will push back hard against it. Have they? Not with lawsuits, but yes, they do push back. Can you give me an example? Sure. So in 2013, Alison Atkinson, a teacher from British Columbia, she wrote an op-ed for the TAI. It's a Vancouver-based online news site. She had some issues with We Day. Uh, writing from the point of view of an educator, she said that these big stadium shows manufactured hype and celebrated corporate partnerships too much. Okay, but again, that's an opinion piece. I mean, she's entitled to express her opinion. Yes, perhaps, but she did make a couple errors. She confused Me to We with Free the Children, and she also misidentified the name of an app developed by We. I mean, those seem like the kind of mistakes that you would simply correct once they're pointed out. And the Tai did correct it, but we wasn't satisfied with that. Um, they said that the article contains some other errors. Um, they also had the Tai add a link to a letter from a Free the Children executive, which criticized the, quote, significance of the errors and the incorrect assertions in the article. And then they called her boss. Uh, the WE organization contacted Allison Atkinson's school board superintendent to raise the issue of her writing this article. They called her school board superintendent. That's like calling her boss's boss. Why would they do that? So I asked them and they said our intention was to ensure everyone engaged or impacted by the story was provided the correct information. Jaron, I, th I think it's just reasonable to say that a move like that it could have the impact of intimidating a teacher who's been critical of we and perhaps give them a disincentive to being critical in the future. That's my opinion. What does that teacher, Allison Atkinson, have to say about this? She said something interesting. Allison told me that I'm not the first reporter who's ever called her about this. I feel like I probably hear from somebody once a year. Uh, notably, I've never seen a teacher actually uh, get published. Jaron, why do you think we has been able to avoid critical coverage for so long? Well, you mentioned earlier that they have extensive partnerships with media organizations. ABC broadcasts We Day on American Network TV. They've written columns for the Toronto Star, Post Media Papers, the Huffington Post. And since 2006, there actually hasn't been a time where they haven't written regular columns for at least one Canadian newspaper. And most often, it's more than one at once. So Craig has also been a judge on CBC's Canada Reads. Global TV had exclusive rights to We Day for a while. The Globe and Mail has a particularly big partnership. They print an entire section of the newspaper devoted to We every year around We Day. You mean that the Globe and Mail does a section on, on We? No. So what happens is We creates the content and they put it in the paper. It gets printed, goes into the paper, looks like another section, but all the content is We created. Uh, it runs in a couple other papers too, like some post-media papers, the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, it's, it's in a lot of prominent newspapers in Canada. Uh-huh. Okay. But correlation is not causation. You know, there are lots of organizations that have partnerships with the media, maybe pretty rare to have one that's that robust, but a lot of organizations do and would want that. It doesn't necessarily mean that they leverage those partnerships into getting positive press. And I know that they've explicitly denied that to us. They said that any assertion to the above claim that they use their media partnerships to get good press is factually inaccurate and defamatory. Do you have any reason to believe that they've done this, they've used those partnerships to actually get better news coverage? I do have one example for sure. In 2014, the Halifax Chronicle Herald, which was a media partner of the WE organization at the time, it still is, 
they asked their education reporter, Francis Willick, to go cover We Day. And while Francis was there, she tweeted, and some of her tweets were a bit snarky. Any examples? She commented on everything from the inspirational pop music to the celebrity speeches to the corporate influence over the show's content. But she went beyond that, too, tweeting out questions about the funding behind We Day and its financial structure. So she sounds like a reporter. She does. Uh, She also made note of how she feels we managed her personally at the event. I'll read you one of the tweets. I'm not even joking when I say that media are more tightly controlled at We Day than at the Halifax International Security Forum. And she also wrote that they followed her everywhere, you know, to interviews. Wait, who followed her? A a PR escort just followed her everywhere, even to the bathroom. Really? Yes. But they waited outside. Well, that's good. So what happened next? So Wee's associate PR director at the time, Allison Clark, noticed Francis's tweets. And one of my sources actually shared an email with me that Clark had sent to Mark Kielberger, among some other people. What's in the email? It lays out a plan to, quote, get ahead of a potentially negative story. Uh Uh-huh. The PR director tells Mark Kielberger about the, quote, negative tweets and suggests that someone from We should send a personal email to Francis's editor at the Chronicle Herald thanking them for their support. And again, they were a media partner. Maybe they were just being polite. It's nice to say thank you. Yes, but it's important to note that the PR rep specifically wrote that someone should thank Francis's editor, quote, before they file their stories. Right. So they connected the two things, that the thank you was in relation to the story that was going to get filed. Mm-hmm. So there's a direct connection there. And and what was the outcome? I mean, do we know if Mark Kielberger or somebody else from the WE organization ended up contacting Francis's editor as they had planned to do? According to Francis, they actually called her publisher. Sarah Dennis, she's the chairman of the Chronicle Herald. She's also the owner of the Chronicle Herald. Dennis, she didn't return any calls to us, and we denies this completely. And I'll read the full statement that their lawyer sent us about it um, verbatim. At no time were my clients in contact from the editor-in-chief, publisher, or any other senior management at the Chronicle Herald in this matter. Furthermore, at no point did my clients authorize anyone to make contact with the editor-in-chief or any other senior management at the Chronicle Herald on their behalf. So it's a total denial. But Francis remembers otherwise. Um, I got a phone call from um, the owner of the Chronicle Herald, Sarah Dennis. And she basically, all I remember of the conversation is that she told me that the we folks had contacted her um, because they had seen my tweets. I don't really know anything more about the interaction between them and her. Um, but she did tell me that she was contacted by them. And that's all I remember. Like that's, there were no negative repercussions for me as an employee of the Herald. I wasn't reprimanded. There was no discipline. There was nothing like that. Like that phone call is all that happened. Jaron, for a reporter to get a phone call from their publisher, not their editor who they hear from and work with every day, but from their publisher who also happens to be the paper's owner. And that publisher is contacting them specifically to bring up a story that the reporter is working on and to let the reporter know that concerns had been raised from the subject of that story and that subject being a partner of the newspaper, in my opinion, that sends a very clear message to the reporter. The intent, I think, is to influence the story. So if that's the case, did it work? Did the WE organization influence the Chronicle Herald's coverage. So we denies it. Through their lawyer, they said, and I'm going to quote him here, 
any assertion that they had ever sought to suppress the publication of critical news stories through direct contact with executives who work for their media partners would be factually inaccurate and defamatory. Okay. What I can tell you is that the piece that actually ran in the paper by the same reporter who'd sent all those tweets, it was glowing. Francis wrote that the crowd was pumped for a day of inspiration and music. Uh-huh. None of Francis's criticism or skepticism was included, and neither was her name. The piece ran without a byline. Okay, so you know, for listeners who don't know, when a reporter pulls their byline off of a story that they wrote, which is something that happens pretty infrequently, it's usually done as a kind of a protest against an editorial decision that they don't agree with, or they'll do it as an effort to keep their name off of a story that they do not feel that they can stand behind. And that's all true. But in this case, Francis said she didn't exactly remember what happened with the byline situation. Fair enough. Jaron, what else did you find in your look at this whole history of we and the media? So one thing a former employee told me is that a partner of the WE organization created an award specifically to give it to WE. They said, quote, good housekeeping created an award so that WE charity could be the first people to have it. And it's just advertising. They talk about this award, the Good Housekeeping Humanitarian Seal, a lot. And as far as I can tell, they're the only recipients. And just to be clear, Good Housekeeping is a partner of the WE organization? Yes, We told us, quote, the Good Housekeeping Humanitarian Seal was solely created and led by the Good Housekeeping Institute team. Before they granted that award, the magazine scrutinized Wee's financials, their filings, their structure. But in Weeconomy, the Kielberger's most recent book. Weeconomy? Yeah, Weeconomy. Okay. It's the most recent book by the Kielbergers. They wrote about this partnership, and they said that Good Housekeeping saw the award as an opportunity to expand the partnership between we and the magazine. Uh, the magazine never got back to us about the details of the award. Okay. Um, I'm kind of curious about these books. Uh, what can you tell me about Mark and Craig Kilberger as book authors? Yeah. So they're authors of a lot of books. There's at least a dozen books where Craig and Mark Kilberger are listed as the authors, either individually or together. However, I learned that one of the responsibilities of Wee's communication team, according to four different former employees, was to ghostwrite their books and columns. Uh huh. We said the team just offers support. So they concede that there is a team that helps them with writing and research, but they do say that Craig and Mark are involved in the process very much. Okay. Anything else that you found? Yes. And we should probably say that all of this and more is in an article that you can find on our website. Um, There's another example of we arguably overreacting to some media scrutiny, and you can find that and more in the piece online. Jaron, everything that you are describing about their strategies when it comes to handling the press, we have now experienced similar things from them firsthand. When you sent them your first 11 questions... They shot back with 32 of their own to us. Why are you asking us this? Who are you talking to? Did you speak to any of our many happy employees? And so on. They told us that they are, quote, beyond reproach on the issue at hand. So there was what I would call a defensive posture from them towards our investigation from the start. And their next move was, in my opinion, to overwhelm us. They sent us over 100 pages of documentation, which, despite how long it all was, didn't really include answers to a lot of the questions that you asked. Now, we published all of that, all the 100 pages, and you can find them all on our website. Then, when we first heard from their lawyer, prior to publishing your first article, he appealed to our sense of decency, or tried to. 
my client is a charity. Uh, you are harming their ability to do good works in the world. Look into your heart before you go any further, sort of of that tone. And then finally, after we went ahead and published and we made it public that we intend to keep publishing, that's when they sent us a legal notice and they publicly attacked us. They attacked Candleland and its credibility. And then they stopped directly responding to us. And from your reporting, it does seem like other news organizations have experienced similar tactics over the years. I guess what, what I have to acknowledge is, however I feel about all of those strategies, for the last 20 odd years, they've kind of worked. Yeah, they, they have. Uh, as I was told by multiple people, there have been a number of attempts to investigate them that haven't gone anywhere. And I think this gives us some insight into why that might be. And Jaron, if anyone has information for you, how can they get in touch with you? You can reach me by email. My email is Jaren, J-A-R-E-N, at candlelandshow.com. And you can also reach me on Signal. And I'll give you my number right now, 530-517-7538. Thanks, Jaron. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land, and our website is canadalandshow.com. This week, check out a new episode of Oppo. And if you have not been listening to Archie Mann's amazing run on Commons, looking at corruption in Canada, you are missing out. This podcast has been fantastic. Both of those shows, check them out. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you want to get ad-free podcasts, please support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.